Well, good morning, everyone, or perhaps good evening if you're watching it a little bit later on in the evening on Sunday or even later during the week. We are glad that you're here, and as Eric mentioned earlier, if you're here in the morning uh, on our watch party that started at 8.30, uh, we would invite you to comment and leave requests and other kinds of things as we continue in our service this morning. I also want to mention that if anyone in our congregation or any of you out there watching, if you need any help in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. We are here to serve you. I believe that this time will provide many opportunities for followers of Jesus to be salt and light in the hands and feet of Jesus. Many times we may have opportunities to share answers to questions that many are having uh, and to minister to them and to minister to ourselves. So this morning we're going to continue in our series called Moments in Matthew as we've been walking through two chapters each week in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're going to talk about Matthew chapters 19 and 20. In chapter 19, Jesus begins with uh, some really interesting teaching on marriage, and then after that, the danger of wealth. Chapter 19 in Matthew is where we get the famous expression, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And Eric has been posting about these texts and chapters and verses, and I've been doing the same thing in our sermon group, so if you're not a member of that, please uh, look to join the BVCOB sermon group and you can follow along with us even when we don't get to talk about those things here during the, during the sermon. In chapter 20 of Matthew, we begin to look at uh, the tension, the conflict increasing between the religious leaders and Jesus. I mentioned that last week as we were looking at the two chapters before this, but in chapter 20, Jesus begins with the parable of the wicked vine dressers, which is specifically addressed at those religious leaders. And then after that, we begin a discussion along the idea of greatness. And so that's what I'd like to talk about today, is the idea of greatness. In our modern language, we sometimes use the phrase goat, greatest of all time. Now, many times that revolves around the idea of sports. And I remember as a child, one of the first athletes that I can ever recall talking about being great, at least publicly being great, was Muhammad Ali. He would quite often talk about being the greatest boxer of all time. And, and that has become sort of a part of the lexicon of sports conversation. Who is the greatest of all time? Who is the GOAT? If you're a football fan, it might be Tom Brady or um, Joe Montana or Johnny Unitas or maybe even Dak Prescott. That would have been funnier if there had actually been a crowd of people here to, uh, to hear that this morning. Maybe like angry emojis and stuff. What I want to do now is just begin to, to think about putting ourselves in the sandals of the disciples and thinking about that tension building, thinking about their goals, their dreams, their thoughts about their role in the life and ministry of Jesus and this kingdom of heaven that Jesus was talking about all of the time. As the conflict began to grow... I believe that disciples began to think that one of two things needed to happen. Either the religious leaders were going to have to put down Jesus, or Jesus was going to have to put down the religious leaders to establish his kingdom here on earth. And so there is no doubt in my mind that as the disciples began to try to process this and understand it, in conflict with this idea of Jesus talking about his own death and resurrection, which he has predicted at least twice as we head into Matthew chapter 20. I don't think they really understood all of that, but in conflict with all of that, trying to figure out what is, what is going on, I believe that the disciples probably began to think about, not that Jesus would be put down, but that he would, of course, triumph and put others down. And so maybe they began to think about their role in this new kingdom on earth. What would their role be? And perhaps even what would their position be 
as disciples, as sort of the inner group, the inner circle with Jesus, what would their role be? And so we come to Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, if you wanna open up to Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, we begin here. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him, that would be come to, came to Jesus, with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. Notice that phrase, kneeling down. So there's sort of even this sort of king kind of idea there. Kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. So here's a request from James and John's mother. Now, if you know, uh, follow along with uh, the life of Jesus, you will notice that Peter, James, and John make up what are often referred to as sort of like the inner circle of the disciples. So in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus is transfigured on the mount, uh, he only takes Peter, James, and John along with him. And then later, when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, there is a particular time where he separates from the other disciples and only asks Peter, James, and John to go along with him as he prays there in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Peter, James, and John sort of form this sort of inner inner circle, this sort of group of three that seem to have a little bit more influence or a little bit more time with Jesus than the others. So it's sort of natural to me anyway that James and John might consider that they would have a particularly interesting role in, I think, what they believed or what they hoped would be this new kingdom on earth led by King Jesus. And so their mother asks the question. Now, their mother here is Salome, and she's an interesting person as well. If you look at some of the accounts of the women at the cross, I believe that Salome, who was James and John's mother, was also the biological sister of Mary making James and John first cousins to Jesus. And so we also know that sometimes family relationships have something to do with who gets to sit close to the seat of power. So it sort of makes sense that James and John's mother would make this request. So she comes and she says, hey, can one of my sons sit on your right hand and one on the left hand when you come in your kingdom, sort of positions of power or influence in the kingdom. And so we continue with verse 22. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And then we have this comment in verse 24, and when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. So that would be the 10 other disciples. They didn't like to hear about this, but in reality, I think they were thinking the same thing. In fact, we have recorded for us as Jesus spends the last supper with his disciples that they were arguing amongst themselves as to which one of them would be greatest. So let's continue then with Jesus's answer, and this is where we will focus most of our time on this morning. Jesus says, excuse me, verse 25, the Bible says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
I have three thoughts that I'd like to think about in relation to Jesus' response to this request for James and John to sit on his right and on his left. And to think about how those particular thoughts impact our lives as we think about greatness, as we think about what it means to serve in the kingdom, and as we think about what this relationship with Christ and this desire to follow him, what that means for our lives today. So the first thing that I'd like to say is that a desire to be great is not wrong. Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples for their desire to be great. I think a desire to be great is God-given. I would like to think that all of us would want to be great disciples of Jesus, that all of us would want to be great moms or great dads or, or great children or great coworkers or great neighbors or whatever it might be. This desire to be great is not wrong in and of itself as long as we put it in the right position and the right place as followers of Jesus. So number one, it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with the desire to be great. Number two, greatness comes through service. And greatness comes through following Christ in that service. And genuine Christian greatness involves really radical service. Let me read those, some of those words of Jesus again. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Note the contrast there between the words that Jesus uses. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Great servant. Let whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. We don't often use those words in that way. Great and servant and first and slave. In um, things like athletics, to be first doesn't mean to be a servant. Or to be great doesn't mean to be at the back of the line. But Jesus is not talking about the gymnasium or he is not talking about the boardroom. He is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Because if you think about this, in terms of something like the gymnasium and athletics, it really doesn't work. Like if I want to be a great basketball player, and yet I want to serve you if you come to guard me and I just give you the ball so that you can go down to the other end and score a basket. That's not a great play. I'm not a great basketball player. It's to serve you in that way. That wouldn't work very well. I would ride the bench pretty quickly. Or if I was in the boardroom, if every single time that I had a good idea, something that I thought would benefit the company and I never really shared, I just gave it to you, to you to share it with the, with, uh, with the boss, then I probably wouldn't last very long in the company. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. Jesus has something different in mind for us as we follow him. But, but why does this work then? How does this sort of dichotomy work? How does the first become the servant and how is the greatest the slave? Well, it works because this is the way that God works. It works because this is the way that life works when we think of serving Jesus as our king. Not a CEO or not a coach, but that Jesus is our king. I want to read to you another passage of scripture that we see from uh, the apostle Peter. So one of these original 12 disciples writing years after the death and resurrection of Christ. And he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. The elders who are among you I exhort I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also are a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. 
serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, and I believe that's a reference to Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. See, if we think about the way the world works, the world doesn't work this way, that the first is not the servant, and the greatest is not the slave. But in the kingdom, that's the way it works because God makes it work that way. God gives grace to the humble. God balances the books in terms of this idea of greatness coming out of service, that service really means and leads to greatness in the kingdom. It doesn't work that way typically in the world, but God is involved and engaged in making it work that way. God gives the grace. When you and I see ourselves not as men or women or as teachers or doctors or bricklayers or fast food servers, but rather when we see ourselves as disciples of Jesus, we realize that the path to greatness comes through service because God gives us the grace to serve. These times, these days that we're in, which really are unprecedented days, I believe there are paths for us to follow that lead to service. I believe there are opportunities for us within the church and within our communities to serve other people in a special way. Ways that will cost us something. Ways that may cost us something significant but ways that God can use to actually bring glory to himself and really can use those things to bring about our own benefit. I'd like you to ask yourself the question, how can I serve in a way that matters for the kingdom? How can I serve in a way that helps to spread the good news of Jesus, both in word and in deed? So we see that a desire to be great is not bad. There is nothing wrong with that desire to be great. And we also see that greatness comes through service. And my final point that I'd like to talk about this morning is that Jesus is our greatest example. Jesus is our greatest example. Once again, verse 28, Jesus says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I don't think the disciples really understood those words and they first heard them. I don't think they really understood them until after the resurrection. But we read also about Jesus not only being a great servant, but also being great. I mean, is there really any name out there greater than Jesus? I don't think so. I think the name of Jesus is the greatest name in the history of the world. Whether people choose to follow him or not, his name is great. And of course, what comes to my mind when I think about that is another passage from Paul in Philippians chapter two, and I'd like to share this as we close. Paul writes this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let me stop there for just a second. What is he saying there? He's saying that the very attitude, the very mindset that Jesus had, this mindset of incredible service 
that led to self-sacrifice, that ultimately led to greatness. Paul is saying this mind can be in you and me. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, see these same words, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Right? So there is the service. There is the slave. There is the servanthood, sacrificial aspect of this. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 9 goes on to say, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him, given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our greatest example. And I believe that one of the things we learn from from him is that that self-sacrifice, that sacrificial service, which doesn't necessarily look like the way we think great people look, turns out in the kingdom to be exactly what God desires from us. Exactly what he desires from us. Now, I don't necessarily think that God is looking for any of us to be goats, the greatest of all time. Rather, I think what God is looking for us is to be goots, greatest of our time. Where God has you planted, how God has equipped you The people that God has placed around you may not be situations and circumstances that others will write about or that others will read about in the history books. But I believe that God wants you to be the greatest follower of Jesus that you can be in your time and in your situation and in your world, in the spheres of influence that you run in and that I run in. So, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with desiring to be great. I hope that you desire to be great. The greatest disciple, the greatest mom, the greatest dad, the greatest teenager, the greatest student, the greatest neighbor. But please recognize that according to the words of Jesus and the testimony of the church, that greatness comes through service. Following Jesus, our greatest example. And I believe that there are many opportunities, especially today, for you and I to demonstrate that greatness. Now, if you're listening this morning or watching, maybe for the very first time, and you're thinking, I, I don't really know this, um, this Jesus of which you speak. I don't really know exactly what you're talking about. We would love to interact with you. We would love to be able to share Christ with you and to share his story with you. You can reach us via Facebook. You can private message me or any other pastors or just put a comment on there. Say, hey, somebody contact me and we'll, we will do it right away. But for those of us that are sort of regular folks here at Buffalo Valley, I want to encourage you to take some time today to think about how this text fits into your life, how this challenge of Jesus fits into your life, how God is calling you to be great through service. Are you willing to take Jesus' path to greatness? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to serve you. 
and that when we do, we can trust you and trust you that even though it might not look like we're doing great things or that we might even be swimming upstream in a downstream world, that you are there giving us grace, giving us strength, using our service in ways that we perhaps cannot even see, using our service perhaps for today, but also for eternity. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us, help us to have the mind which was in Christ Jesus, not to be served, but to serve, and to give our lives in service to our King. Now, Father, I pray that as we sing this song, let me be your servant, that we are reminded of the privilege that we have and the opportunity to serve you as we serve one another. In Jesus' name.